right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome everybody to the Sean Steele Law Firm podcast. We are joined by some amazing people today. I want to introduce them to you in a moment. Uh, as, I'm, as people are starting to roll into the live version, obviously this is being recorded for the podcast and the uh, YouTube version, um, but we are live uh, on Zoom with... Uh, some number of participants as they slowly roll in. We're expecting a good crowd for Mr. Uh, Mr. Sam Collins. Uh, and But with me today, the man, the myth, the legend, coming to us live from Washington, D.C. in an undisclosed location, although it appears to be just outside of a Senate office building, Mr. Sean Steele. Guys, it's great to be here. I love, I love modern mechanics, modern electricity, I'm by the oldest building in the House of Representatives, the Cannon Office Building, uh, and and you know today's is 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 a great day. It's it's quite special. Talking about my favorite subject, PI coding, especially in 2022. Lots of new stuff. There's nobody that studies this more who's on the international body that that determines these codes is Sam Collins. But I want you to notice who's going to be emceeing the program today. Alex Eisner, this man is a legend. Not, not a legend in his own mind. He's, he's too humble for that, but he's a legend in my mind and, and, and everyone else's. Sam is the most popular chiropractic speaker I know of anywhere. Uh, there's, there's a lot of groups, subgroups, cults and such, but Sam is popular everywhere because he talks about something that he knows more than anybody about how to get paid in all, in all cases, particularly for me, personal injury. So let's uh, let's give it away to Alex. Uh, I want you guys to uh, give me some candid, honest information. Email to me personally. Alex never see it. Give him a rating of one to five. Five being the most amazing thing you've ever seen with your eyes. Zero meaning exactly what it is. Zero. Sean Steele at SeanSteele.com. We all know that everybody loves Sam because the seminars are full. He's got a whole bunch coming up. Alex will probably talk about our live seminar that Sam, Alex, and I are doing together in Riverside. At the famous Mission Inn, you want to go there because it's famous and Richard Nixon got married there. So with that, Alex, I'm going to turn this over to you. Doctors, if you got any questions, you're supposed to email it to us. Let us know what you're thinking. Thanks, Fudge, for joining us today. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Sean. Without any further ado, let's turn it right over to Mr. Sam Collins, Dr. Sam Collins. Sam, we are on a tight now 25 minutes. Uh, we had a little bit of technical difficulties getting you going, but you're here now with us. What new is it? What is new in the world of PI billing and coding? Well, what's new is what's old, but what's also new. And I think where we run it, and this is where I run into problems because I deal with offices that have difficulty getting paid. Sam, I got a claim come in and then my claim didn't get paid. So I'm going to give you an example. In fact, I, I put up a few things here. Um, let me make sure I can share this so that y'all can see it. But I want to move specifically just to this slide. And let me take off the subtitles. PI is a, about an algorithm of knowing what's going on. And it's coding, it's the billing, but it's making sure the care is there, but also that we're getting paid. And the one area that we have problems with is diagnosis. And I'm gonna jump ahead here. I just wanna go over a EOB. This is the type of problem we run into. Here you'll see an EOB. This is a personal injury claim. You'll see here they're billing an adjustment and, and STEM. And it says here, the diagnosis reported by the provider may represent a condition occurring as a result of a motor vehicle accident. So notice it says may, and then it says, or an unrelated condition. So therefore we're giving you zero money 
because we don't know if it's related to an accident. So one of the important things we have to do when you're coding, the basic thing is it was an auto accident. Have we demonstrated that the resultant diagnosis and condition is part of an accident? So here's the example, Alex, I see. This is this exact same patient. And you'll notice they build out a subluxation. They build out some disc displacement and degeneration and radiculopathy. But you'll notice nothing in here tells me it was related to an accident. So when I look at this, if I'm an adjuster, I'm going to question if a person has disc degeneration and disc displacement, I think we all might agree that that could happen without there being an accident. In other words, was this by the accident at all? They're going to want to see records and they're going to say, we don't think it's part of it here. Therefore, we're going to pay zero. Now, that doesn't mean we can't go back on it. But I want to emphasize that it's when it's an auto accident, these can be part of the diagnosis. Certainly, these things are present, but what caused it is trauma. And so what I want to make an emphasis to is making sure that trauma is part of your diagnosis of these patients. I know many of you are afraid of strains and sprains because you remember, well, a strain sprain is going to go away on its own in six or eight weeks, which Assuming it's a simple grade, you know, sprain strain, I guess that's probably true. But is it going to really go away on its own or does it just heal enough to get a little better? It's more than that. So my focus here is make sure you code trauma because in the absence of it, they're going to question, well, here's an example. What if a person's had headaches and you're complaining of headaches after the accident? What if this patient's been to a few providers? And they had headaches before, six months ago. They were taking medication. I want to just correlate it to the injury. What I also want to make an emphasis, though, to here is notice the consistency. Here's another one, a, a straight auto case. Notice at the bottom, what is the diagnosis as they relate to the auto accident? There are obviously lots of conditions that can be going on with an auto case, like a radiculopathy. Does that require trauma to happen? No, but it can be a result of trauma. So I'm putting the trauma plus radiculopathy. So I want to make sure that I give something that shows the accident. But where I want you to be careful is this. A lot of us think, oh, I'm going to put the accident code. And there's nothing wrong with this. Here's a code. You know, what is this first one? V4351XA that says it's the driver of a car in a collision with a sport utility vehicle. Okay, that, that's certainly correct. My con concern is... Does that tell you anything about what you need to treat? So what I wanna emphasize is this doesn't satisfy the trauma. This explains the accident, but I'll make a very simple statement about it. What do you think the auto insurance company knows already? They know who was driving the car. They know it was an accident. What we wanna know is what are you treating? By example, there's a code for everything. Lori Laughlin, lovely person, I'm sure, but is she a little overzealous in her kids? And so I would diagnose her as Z62.1, parental overprotection. Here's all I'm pointing out. Coding for an accident needs to relate to what's wrong with the patient, not how it happened. How it happened is part of it. I mean, severity of all those things. But the reality is the auto insurance company already knows it's an accident. We want to talk about what's wrong. So give yeah. me trauma. Let me jump in because I, I just have a curiosity question because there's mm -hmm. a, I've seen a lot of these ridiculous, seemingly ridiculous uh, uh, diagnosis codes about space things falling from outer space or, you know, <laughs> what are they for? I mean, if, if they're not ah, coding that's a good, well, in this context. You, you, 
Yeah, it's the context of it. So understand that I'm part of ICD-11. So I'm with WHO converting and, and doing for ICD-11, which will be being implemented shortly. Not in the U.S. right away, but the rest Europe, of the world. Probably not in my lifetime here in the United States. Well, it, it may be. It's going to be a little bit sooner this time around. But the reason they have that code, remember, what are diagnosis used for? Originally, diagnosis were there to just figure out what was causing people to die. To die. So it's a way of classifying death. And then it began to classify diseases, which means we can then classify what's wrong and how to help people. And so why do we have a code like that? Because in a hospital setting, they actually will use that code because they use that data to give the correlation how many people were involved in accidents and so forth. So it's one of those ones that's there for identification purposes, for morbidity, but it doesn't really change how we treat. And so they're there really just for statistics it doesn't really change the care. Like by example, if someone is very overweight and they have a heart attack, what do we care about them having a heart attack? Now, is being overweight part of the issue? Sure, but it's the heart attack is the main thing. So think of those kind of, in my opinion, as throwaways, because you're exactly right. There are codes for things that you'd be amazed, space junk hitting you. There's a code for slipping, but not falling. So what I want to diagnose is what am I treating? What's wrong? So I want you to think though, it's not just strain sprain. And I think this is where we often miss out. Strain sprains are important, but it's not the only thing. With a strain sprain, remember you got to grade it. What's the severity? Those make a difference, but what's associated with it? How many times when a person has been in an accident, they do have radiculopathy or a disc injury or something that's occurred? Absolutely. However, I also want you to think beyond just those diagnoses, what other things are there? So when you have to look at a PI case, the insurance company is assuming everything is perfect and the patient's going to be well with no problem. Like, oh, come on, it's a minimal thing. And in the absence of a good diagnosis, that's going to be true. But if I code a sprain strain with radiculopathy, with a disc bulge, or how about this one? How many of you have had a patient that when you take their x-rays, there's significant findings on those x-rays. You're indicating there's spondylosis, lipping, spurring, hibernation. Maybe you're even indicating there's a curvature change. There's a way of coding that. Here will be my opinion. If there's something that's a positive on an x-ray that is going to change the trajectory of the patient's care plan, I need it documented because I'm giving the reason because the assumption would be a simple sprain strain should be better in about four weeks. But if you think of it, how many people actually have that? But the only way to describe it is coding. So tell me about the curvature changes. Tell me about the underlying muscle issues and everything else that'd be a complication. Remember, we're painting a big picture of a patient that not everything is the same. Let's take two people in a car accident, grandparent, grandchild. Let's hope it doesn't happen. But let's say the grandparent is 70, grandchild is like 15, 20 years old. That accident, the grandchild may not have a very severe injury. Their body is pliable and flexible. But when you're older, what do you have on board already? You already have spondylitic changes. You already have curvature issues. So it's going to be easier for you to have a greater trauma. So that's where the complications of comorbidities. And here's what I want you to think of. The insurance company is taking a look at the patient diagnosis initially to determine what they think the care plan and the length of care would be. They're already setting aside money based on this diagnosis. So if you see an initial diagnosis of disc, that's gonna be a lot different than if you see just strain sprain alone. 
So I want to make sure there's more to it than that. And don't forget, strain sprains are more than just always the acute. Let's talk about sequelae. Now, Alex, how many, you've been around a while now, how many people post an accident have issues after the accident, even though they've treated, they still have pain? Nearly all of them. Yeah, I, it, it's, it's true. I mean, unfortunately, I've had an accident and I'm still dealing with some residual issues. And I realize now maybe it isn't going to be the same. And the residual issue, I don't think we code. I think we discuss it. But the truth is discussion means nothing. Let me give you an explanation of that. When you send someone out for an MRI, you're going to get a report back. And in that report, it's usually six or seven pages. And you're going to have all this information that says this was an MRI taken of the lumbar spine in the sagittal and coronal planes. It was a T1 weighted. And it goes through all that mumbo jumbo. Great. What do you care about? What do you do? You turn to about page five to get to the conclusion. I want you to think of the same thing. You can write this big old report, but you know what it really comes down to? What's the conclusion? Whenever you see a study, all the stuff people look in the study, it's about the conclusion. So the conclusion is your diagnosis. So I'm going to give an example of a patient with residual issues, how to code it. Don't just write it in a report because quite frankly, do you think anyone's reading your report? Honestly, they're not. Because if it's important in your report, it would be diagnosed. So let's diagnose it. What if a patient has a complication from an accident where maybe they have such a severe injury, they have ligament laxity or translation, and they have, that's what this code is, by the way, M2428. And then they also have resultant myalgia of the neck. I still have myalgia. I'm tender right here. When I push that, it actually hurts pretty good. That myalgia is a residual factor. Now, how do I know it's a residual factor? Because I'm telling the insurance it is. I am coding the ligament laxity or abnormal movement with myalgia that is all the sequelae of a sprain strain to the neck. So you don't need to write a prognosis. You need to create a diagnosis that indicates the prognosis of residual issues. So begin to use your diagnosis as a way of reporting what the patient has residually. Because now, Alex, I will ask you, when you go to settle a claim, when a patient has higher residuals, does that equal a bigger settlement? Not only does it, uh, commonly we will get reports that seem to indicate no residuals whatsoever. Essentially, the chiropractor worked a miracle and they, despite having pretty substantial injuries as a result of the accident, as of the day of the final report are all better. It's as if the accident had never happened. Um, and those reports can be very difficult for me because as you know, in real life, people have flare-ups, they have bad days, they've got that tenderness, they've got all kinds of things that happen after accidents. And then, you know, I have this report that says, I've got an adjuster, an attorney saying, well, Alex, I, you know, I see the chiropractor's report says this person's fine now. Why would we pay you any money for future medical treatment or, or any future pain and suffering when this report seems to indicate this person is completely fine? Um, which, as you know, nearly never happens as, as, like, as if they never had been in the accident. So, yeah, of course, it, 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 you know, it increases the value if I can prove residuals. But, but the converse is, is almost worse. I mean, when I, when I can't prove any residuals, I, I have a really big problem on my hands. And here's what it comes down to. Let's, let's talk about it from a doctor's standpoint. Your doctors, anyone that you're working with, what do they care about getting paid? I mean, they're helping their patient. I'm just talking about the pain. They want to get paid. Well, if the settlement is lower, 
there's not enough money to go around. Guess what happens to our bill? Our bill gets cut. So I question first, did we create information that gives the information about the severity of the patient and the need for care? Because remember, they pay for damages. And if you are perfectly fine afterwards, that damage is not there. Now, that doesn't mean you don't get some payment for the damages during the accident, but it's finite. It ends here. And I think that's not true for most people. Not my hope is it is. And there's going to be a few people. I hope they're in an accident. They're going to go, man, I feel good as new. And I find that not often true, but here's the problem. Who's the only person that can bring that up as an attorney Though you're an expert, can you bring up residual issues that the doctor didn't report? No. I mean, I can bring them up all day long, but it's not evidence, right? It's just conjecture on the part of an attorney that I, I can say anything I want to. And I, you know, right. I, I completely agree. I mean, I completely agree with what you're saying that, that, that this can this can make or break these cases and um, and getting people paid. I mean, sometimes I, I wonder if when we put on seminars, we go and we talk to chiropractors or chiropractic students, especially about, you know, how to, how to work up these cases, how to better code, how to do this. If they're not looking at me going, why do I care? Why do I care about making your case better? Why do I care about getting my client a bucket full of money? My only you know concern is making sure that I treat the, the patient in front of me in the conditions that they have. And I always think, well, yeah, but if I can't prove these these future damages, if I can't get them the amount of money that I think their case is worth, that's where that's when people's bills get cut. And it, I, I mean, we specifically run a practice where we try not to cut chiropractors' bills. We're successful a huge percentage of the time in paying chiropractors 100%, but that comes with a lot of work. The, and that work comes from making sure we get them enough money to get that chiropractor paid. So when we put on these seminars, essentially what we're saying is do this, to help us help you. And I know that sounds very like, uh, you know, shady lawyery, help me help you. But, but in real life, if I can't use the report I get from the chiropractor to get good money for my client, then I'm not, then, then those, not just your bill, all the medical bills and my own fee, by the way, and the client's portion, everything is Everybody on the chopping block. Right. Well, I think in these terms, I mean, that sounds like help, but you've all seen the show Judge Judy or something like it. And the one thing you'll notice, everyone wants to sue whatever the maximum is. I want 10,000. But what does Judge Judy do? She says, what are your damages? And then you're awarded based on that. Now, this is part of it. And if we don't indicate it on the medical side, it doesn't get indicated. So if you have a patient that's responded well and they're doing great, fantastic. But tell me more about what is the residual? What, what are the visits you expect? Now, you're going to give your opinion. Now, I'm sure the insurance company is going to push back, but I'll even I'll ask our resident attorney, what if a, a chiropractor says, based on this patient's condition and per the guidelines, patients of this nature generally are going to need two to three visits per month to keep this problem in check so that it doesn't re-injure, re, uh, re or I shouldn't say re-injure, or start to become a greater problem with the disability. Is there some way for you to take those type of figures and help formulate a better settlement? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, I like it better when it's case specific, when, it, you know, when they say based on the standards and my review of this individual patient and their specific injuries and their specific history and their specific MRI x-ray findings, I believe this patient will require two to three treatments a month for the next X long to keep their condition in check. But yeah, I mean, of, of course, the, the yeah. explanation and, in the guidelines is, is huge. And that's the emphasis I want to make. I, I will say to you, and I won't say this for every attorney, 
but I've known Sean since I was a teenager. I've known Alex now for, I don't know, eight years or so. And you'll not find anyone that fights harder to get your bills paid because if your bills get paid, guess what happens for them? So everyone doesn't understand. It's mutual. The better, the, the better for everyone, including us. And a lot of that comes from us. I hate when I see a doctor upset the attorney didn't settle it higher when there's no ammunition, if you have no damages. So diagnosis, damages, residuals. And as Alex says, make it specific. Don't be afraid to talk about, here's what the AMA guidelines say. Here's what I see individually for this patient with my experience, because these are all factors that will be part of it. But again, in the absence of a diagnosis, it doesn't exist. Because remember, anything you write in a report, like if you do an x-ray report, what do you really need to see? The findings of that report in the sense of what was the impression. You don't need to know every little nuance, but those make a big, big difference. And I'll show you, this is a company called Auto Insurance Specialists. And I want to highlight a couple of things that they point out. Records indicate past medical history is non-contributory, no comorbidity. So everything for this person is perfect. It goes on to say the person was involved in an accident, but there is lack of accident history to determine the mechanism of injury found in the review of records. It goes on to say there is a lack of diagnostic imaging demonstrating spinal fracture, dislocation, or otherwise. you got to x-ray these people. You have to really correlate there is an accident. That's the cause. Because think of it, what is the insurance company trying to say? You know what? This person's 50-year-old. They've already had problems like this. So talk about the effects. Where does this come from? Chronic pain ongoing bouts of dizziness, any of these things are going to be part and factors of it that show an increase in damage. And these happen to your patient. Do I need to diagnose every single one? It's got to be part of the issue, though, at some point during the course of care. Remember, a lot of things complicate a patient getting better. When a person has a metabolic disorder, disorder like diabetes, now the accident didn't cause it, but will that patient require more care? It happens all the time. And, and in fact, I've, and I'm putting you on the spot here a lot, Alex, but I would ask you, have you seen in your experience patients who are more deconditioned, do they generally get more care and or does that equal a bitter settlement or am I just barking up the wrong tree? No, yes and yes. I, I mean, of course, people who have pre-existing conditions, I mean, that's, we call it in, in the law, we call it the eggshell plaintiff rule. I mean, if you, you, you are required to take your defendant as you find, your plaintiff as you find them, right? In other words, they can't, they can't claim, oh, this person was unusually susceptible to injury, so we shouldn't have to pay for all this extra damage when if we'd have hit a healthy person, we wouldn't have caused as much damage. The law doesn't work that way. If you hit somebody who's got advanced age or disc protrusion, spondylosis, I'm, I'm checking off some of these on the, on the slide here, of course, they're going to have more symptoms and they're going to need more treatment. And even though the defense will try and point to that same fact and say, oh, contributory, that's, that, that's going to contribute, that we have to apportion some percentage to that. I turn that same fact around to go, no, 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 no. This person had these conditions under control or in many cases didn't even know they had them. Right. With disc protrusions and, and spinal. I mean, a lot of these people have they get MRI after accidents and it shows a lot of degenerative changes. And we go, yeah, it shows degenerative changes. We're not claiming that, you know, a, that disc bulge came from this accident necessarily. We're claiming that that disc bulge caused this person to be more susceptible to injury than an average person. And now they are dealing with all of these problems when maybe if I had been involved in a seven mile an hour collision, I'd have been fine or mostly fine. But let's say somebody who's been in athletics all their life, like, I don't know, you, 
are involved in a car accident. Maybe you have more symptoms than I would have had, need more treatment than I would have had. Your future meds and your future, your pain and suffering is greater than mine would have been. Yeah. I look at this and I think of it along the lines of, we're painting a picture here of what went on with this patient. What are the residual needs? I will say an attorney wants to pay you in full, even a bad attorney. You know why? Because if you get a big settlement, they'll pay you in full. Now, I'm not saying all are doing that, but I think you get where I'm barking with this. I want you to think of this as an x-ray of a person who's been in an accident. Now, you can see a little bit of lipping and split. Look at the, the decreased joint space. How would I code that? Well, those are curvature changes. So what I have here is a list of diagnosis. Now, I want to encourage all of you. I know it's hard to see these. Come to the program that Sean's going to have at, at the Mission Inn, or if you like, you can send me an email, and I'll probably forward them to you after that program. But you got to start thinking of, do I have the right types of codes? And we do one from head to toe. I mean, everywhere, lumbosacral, disc problems. There's so many things that occur, but there's always an emphasis on the trauma side. And I want to talk about on the trauma side, how many of you are doing flexion extension x-rays? When a person has a residual problem, often we don't know why because we've not looked at it. When they've got a translation of three and a half millimeters or more, that's pretty significant. Based on the AMA guidelines, that's a 25% disability, whole body. It's like, wow, that's a big difference. If I went with a 25% whole body impairment, I think Alex is going to have a whole different argument as to why this patient needs policy max. Because here's what we're making sure. We're treating our patient well best possible care, but we also want to make sure this patient gets all the other things. And that's harder for us to control because we're not the experts on the legal side, but you've got to give the legal team information to help. Imagine a person settling something like this on their own without this knowledge. They would get absolutely screwed. I yeah, see it all the time. People come to us after the fact and ask us if there's anything we could do. And we go, yeah, it was something we could have done, but not anymore. Sam, we got two minutes left. Yeah. And I, I have loved that we've just whet everyone's appetite for this upcoming uh, seminar. And of course, there's going to be more seminars, but uh, closing thoughts and words for people before I, I, I finish the seminar. I want you to come out because you're going to learn a lot more than just what we went over. Let's talk about care plans and active care. And frankly, what pays you better than passive care? I want to make sure that you understand we work as a team. Our job is to get you paid better and to make sure you're paid in full. That's really my goal. That's Alex's goal. We want to make sure he's also obviously got to work for his client. If you come to that program, I'll guarantee you're going to hear things you haven't heard before. And I know you always say, oh, it's the same stuff. It is not. Give a chance to start to make sure you fortify. What's the last place you honestly get paid in full? Personal yeah. injury. That's the only place I see it. And Alex, don't forget, we offer services at H.J. Ross. Check out our website, H.J. Ross, uh, our network. Let me be part of the practice. We're symbiotic. I want to say, Alex, thanks for always letting me have an opportunity to do this. I love that Sean's brought in some new blood, some, some, you know, somebody that's after it and hungry, not saying Sean is not hungry, but we want someone with that different perspective, but also someone who loves this profession and is able to really defend it. So Alex, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Everyone take a moment to come out to the mission or there's going to be other places we're located. If there's something you have a question, you, in fact, let me just go all the way back here. If you want, oh, I didn't put it up. My uh, email, let me go ahead and just stop this here. My email is my name, Sam, at hjrossnetwork.com. And if you're not sure, just go ahead and send to, to Sean and or to Alex, and I will guarantee they will forward it to me. We're here to help you. Give Sam, us a chance to do that. 
it, it, these are the most these are the most valuable things that we we get to do at your seminar your podcast videos always the most uh, the best attended so we always appreciate your time i do want to plug that seminar he's talking about it is at the mission inn in riverside it is on may 10th tuesday may 10th from 6 30 to 9 uh, dinner is included. It's already approved for one CE hour of ethical billing and coding and one CE hour of principles of practice. Principles of practice will be shared. Uh, Sean and I will be uh, doing that. Um, we'll see how close to 50-50 that time is split in real life. Uh, Sam, of course, will take the full ethical billing and coding hour. Uh, Sam, thank you so, so much. Uh, if you, oh, oh I, that's right, Alex, real quick. Those are live hours and yeah. live hours are required by the board now. That's so true. Come and get live hours. That actual live hours. That's right. Live hours, Mission Inn, uh, Riverside. If you want to register, there are still spots open. Uh, it's only like 15 bucks for a chiropractor. I mean, uh, 25 bucks for a chiropractor, $15 for a student or staff. You're not going to, I mean, you're not really even paying for the dinner. I think our sponsors yeah, the are dinner probably- is more, And trust me, that's a good place for dinner. We also have a live seminar coming up at Life College on the 12th of May. It's going to be live if you're in the Bay Area. You may want to come out. It's a full eight hours where you get the full six of ethical billing and coding. That's you add this in, all of a sudden now you're up to 10 hours of live. You're doing pretty good for the rest of the year. That's spectacular. If you want to re register, SeanSteel.com, for the Mission In one, excuse me, uh, in Riverside, SeanSteel.com slash events, uh, and you can click right there and, and register and sign up online. Uh, Sam Collins, hjross.com. His uh, is the best $40 a month you'll ever spend ever, uh, especially if you ever get audited, then you will have wish you have spent $40 a month for Sam. Uh, but Sam, thank you so much for being a part of this. Doctors, thank you so much for joining us. And as always, uh, you will find this uh, on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast and on YouTube shortly. Sam, thank you so much. You're welcome, my friend. Good to see you. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Take care, man.